0: This is Radio Sustain, a journal of fair trade, resilient rural communities, safe food, and a healthy environment, brought to you by IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. This edition of Radio Sustain is for Monday, March 26, 2007. I'm Tyson Acker at IATP in Minneapolis. Today on the program, Don Arnosti tells us why the future of the ethanol industry will rely on more than just corn. Kathleen Schuler details how the Minnesota legislature is trying to make consumer products less toxic. But first, Amalia Anderson talks about U.S. immigration and recent government raids on meatpacking plants around the country.
1: Last December, U.S. immigration agents raided six meatpacking plants run by Swift Company, arresting over 1,200 Latino workers for alleged violations of U.S. immigration laws. The raids targeted Swift plants in Texas, Colorado, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, and Utah, and sparked an outcry from many in those communities. One of the communities hit by the SWIFT raids was Marshalltown, Iowa. Marshalltown is also a participant in the RAICES Initiative, a project focused on building community capacity in rural Latino communities. We sat down with Amalia Anderson of the RAICES Initiative to learn more about how Marshalltown has dealt with the immigration raids.
2: On the day of the SWIFT raid, we were actually meeting in Iowa City. And our, all of our cell phones started ringing collectively, and you sort of put them on vibrate. Then you turn them off so they're not ringing, and they just kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And so by the first break, we were all out in the hallway checking our cell phones, and the messages that we had gotten from eight to ten that morning were all about the raid. And and collectively between the three of us, when you started piecing together the cell phone messages, first you heard that the Homeland Security buses were coming into town. The next messages were We're at the plant. It's crazy. We don't know what's going on. The next messages were The buses are already starting to leave. They're full of people. The windows are tinted. We don't know where they're going. And then the final message is where we really need to talk to people. We need help. At first, people just wanted to understand what was going on. The buses really rolled into town as the evening shift was leaving and the, and the day shift was starting. Um, they went into the plant They basically locked the plant down in the sense that there was no communication with the outside. And they started herding people into different areas. People were just coming in in full riot and SWAT gear and were just telling, you have to go stand here, you have to go stand here. No one was allowed to contact attorneys. You know, few people here and there were getting cell phone calls out. But by and large, people didn't actually know what was going on. And so it was just sort of chaos inside.
1: Well, it's been a few months since the raids. And how are these communities adjusting now? What are their... What's been their kind of reaction to the whole situation?
2: The highlights are that Marshalltown was able to raise collectively, both from contributions in the community and especially contributions that came from outside of the state even, about $85,000 to assist the victims, um, the families who were affected by the raid, and that was for basic necessities. I mean, when you have a parent who's sent back For two parents who are sent back, you still have rent to pay. You still have food that you have to provide. And so there were checks that were issued to really help the 100 families or so that were affected specifically by the SWIFT raid. The school system in general just really stepped forward, even in the hours after the raid, really contacting the children that they knew whose parents had been either rounded up or were missing, were unaccounted for, finding safe places for the students to stay after school, really contacting the parents, you know, Person by person, because no one was answering the phone, so actually sending Latino teachers and support staff to the homes to make sure the family was okay, to actually find out what had happened, were any family members missing? Hispanic ministries stepped forward, candlelight vigils to show support. And so there's the financial support, I think there's the community just coming together. And in general, I think around the politics of just immigration and immigration reform, you see a lot of people wanting to enter into this conversation in a way they never have before. And so even as recent as two weeks ago, the Times Republican, which is a small town newspaper based in Marshalltown, held a summit on immigration.
1: What are, in general, uh, some of the challenges that, that new immigrants face in coming to rural communities in the United States?
2: I would certainly say that in rural communities especially, I think people are struggling to grapple with this issue in a really positive way and wanting to be neighborly about it and the way they always have been and realize that they're all in this together I think in urban areas, because it's just so much bigger, you have the luxury of just sort of walking away from the issue if if you don't feel like it affects you or you're not part of it. You can just sort of move to a new community or you can just send your kids to a different school or you can find someone who's like-minded. And I think in a rural community, because it's so much smaller, you're really all in it together. And in a lot of ways, your, your survival is bound up together and it forces a different level of conversation.
0: There we say Amalia Anderson is co-director of the Raices Project. For more information, visit raicesproject.org. That's r-a-i-c-e-s project.org.
2: When I fall
3: in.
1: In the last several years, the U.S. has seen dramatic growth in corn-based ethanol. But most experts agree that in the long term, corn-based ethanol will not be environmentally or economically sustainable. The Minnesota legislature is currently considering a next generation biofuels bill that will help build a biofuel system based on environmentally friendly perennial prairie grasses. Groups in Minnesota hope the next generation bill will serve as a national model when Congress writes the National Farm Bill later this year. To learn more, we talked with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policies, Don Ornasti.
4: Right now, it's a lot easier to uh, imagine pumping oil out of the Middle East than it is to imagine converting uh, wood chips or wheat straw or other agricultural materials into liquid fuel. Now we face this same issue 12 or 15 years ago when nobody could imagine ethanol as a component of our liquid fuel gasoline process. Minnesota stepped forward in a big way then and uh, really led the way with some incentives and some enticements to the industry. And that was driven primarily by corn farmers and their friends who were trying to support the local price of corn and get some additional value added. So I think Inherent conservatism and concern about new technologies is holding some people back. Politically speaking, we've had a fairly substantial political shakeup recently. And there's 25% of the legislature is newly elected this year. And these folks have come in listening to the people and understanding that we need to change where our fuels come from, we need to change how our agriculture is conducted, we need to deal with global warming and some of these issues. So there's a real intention on the part of this massive freshman class at saying we need some change. And I'm seeing a tremendous will on the part of legislators to say let's move forward in these new areas. And I think all of these are important to uh, making Minnesota a good laboratory. Now, that said... There are other states and other regions that have similar opportunities, and I think there would be an opportunity for them to follow and pay attention to and work collaboratively with Minnesota to do the same thing in their state. I think there's some other things holding people back as well, and that is that some of the technologies that we're talking about are not yet ready for prime time. They're still in the laboratory. They're near to emerging. um, But I think what we need to focus on is the idea that there are several processes that we can use today, and we need to look for the near term, two to five years from now, when it's possible to take a, a wood chip or a piece of wheat straw and convert it into liquid fuel.
0: Don Arnasti is the director of IATP's forestry program. For more information, visit forestrycenter.org.
1: The emerging field of green chemistry is helping to replace toxic chemicals found in many consumer products with safer alternatives. While the federal government has been slow to mandate green chemistry practices, several states are taking action the Minnesota legislature is now considering whether to require safer alternatives for mercury and flame retardants, which are found in many common household products. To find out more, we talk with the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy staff scientist, Kathleen Schuler.
3: Toxics are so prevalent and widespread in our environment. They're in things like pesticides, they're in cleaners that we use in our homes and other chemicals that we use, art supplies. But there's also global pollutants that are contained in some products. So, for example, there are some products that still contain mercury, which is a neurotoxin. So when we don't properly dispose of a mercury product, the mercury gets into the lake, it gets into the fish, We eat the fish, and then it builds up in the food chain and in our bodies. Another example are brominated flame retardants that are in electronics. That's a global pollutant, and it's also a home pollutant. So if we have an older computer that has these brominated flame retardants, it gets into the dust in the home, and we breathe in the dust, and it builds up in our bodies. And the small children are at greatest risk because they are crawling on the carpet. They're ingesting um, more dust and studies show that they do have a higher level in their bodies and they're still developing.
1: So what kind of specific uh, public policies are you proposing at the Minnesota State Legislature this year?
3: Well, this year um, we're looking at four policies. We're looking at a, a legislative initiative that would phase out the remaining mercury products, so things like thermostats which still have mercury, some of them. um, There are safer digital alternatives available. Some um, cosmetics still have mercury in them, so we'd like to phase out those uses. The second bill that we're putting forth would phase out a particular toxic flame retardant called DECA that's widely used in electronics. We want to phase it out as as many companies have already taken leadership to phase it out and found safer alternatives. We want to prevent future use in home mattresses and textiles as well. And the third bill that Clean Water Action is working on is an e-waste bill. And this would properly regulate electronic waste, which is increasing in our society as more people replace their electronic equipment. And we need to make sure that this equipment is properly recycled so these heavy metals and other pollutants don't get into the environment. And then the fourth bill is a pesticide right to know bill. There are many communities that are routinely exposed to pesticides because they live adjacent to agricultural areas. And uh, pesticides, of course, affect one's health. They're carcinogenic. They're Potentially, can affect the brain and learning and development. And they would like communities to be better informed about pesticide use, so they can um, better protect themselves and their health.
0: Kathleen Schuler is a senior associate for IATP's Food and Health Program. For more information, visit healthylegacy.org.
1: Take your skin.
0: Radio Sustain is a project of IATP, the Institute for Agriculture and Trade Policy. Find us on the web at iatp.org. Radio Sustain is produced by Ben Lilliston. The music on the program is Tall Fiddler by Deo, Ophelia's Song by Pan, and Someone Turning by Arctic. I'm Tyson Acker. Thanks for listening.